Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Hello and welcome to the Modernize or Die podcast, CFML News Edition. Today is April 5th. This is episode 142 and I am Eric Peterson. Joined with me is Mr. Brad Wood. How you doing, Brad? Dr. B to you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it, I, have an, I have like an idea for a new intro. Like, you know, the stream goes live and like, you know, I'm saying the punchline to a really funny joke and we all laugh uproariously, but nobody gets the setup. And then we're like, oh, hi, everyone. What do you think about that? It's just, just throwing stuff out there. <laughs> I like it. You know, I was just reminiscing today about the time we got to do this in person. And mm. uh, we played the joke that we were so close that we could give a <laughs> high five. And we did. And yes, we thought was... we were hilarious. And we were hilarious. And all of you listening are probably just rolling your eyes. And that's okay. We still appreciate you. Just like we appreciate our sponsor, Order Solutions, for sponsoring this podcast. Makers of all your favorite boxes out there, you can say thank you and give back to Order Solutions in a few ways, like subscribing to our videos on YouTube, starring our repos on GitHub, subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review, signing up on CFCast, our premier video training courses, and buying Ortis's book, 102 Cold Box Quick Tips and Tricks on Gumroad. Also, we'd like to thank our... Let's see. Last week I used... Uh, I don't remember what I used. What are our Patreon supporters today? Our brilliant Patreon supporters oh. who provide 96% of the funding for this podcast. So thank you. We'll tell you more about them and the perks you get from supporting us on Patreon at the end of this show. I like perks. Well, let's jump into some news and events. We had a, a fun week this last week in Ortis land. We got to have a lot of us here in the United States join almost, together. Yeah, almost all of our Team USA people got together in Houston, Texas, and had the world's largest hackathon that's ever been seen at Ortis. It was, it was super fun. Us and the goats. There were the goats. goats. We we were at some sort of a like camp ranch thing that had like live goats as a little you go feed them. I don't know when you were bored. And we all stayed in little tiny homes made of shipping containers that were really nice inside, like super nice inside. And then we hacked away day and night, powered by uh, Texas barbecue. We and you saw if you've been paying attention, you saw all of the quick betas and QB betas that Eric was. <laughs> Flying off of the shelves, so yeah, which we wanted to talk about all those right now. Yes, I did go kind of crazy. Um, so there's three betas I want to talk about. Uh, the quick ones, the most interesting. In fact, I've been working on a blog post about it that's going to be coming out soon. Um, basically, because uh, quick got quick, or uh, about fifty percent decrease in execution time. I'm not sure if you say fifty percent decrease or twice as fast, but either way, fast. If you're Luis, you say five times as fast. <laughs> I don't know if the math backs that up. <laughs> anyway, there's still some stuff going there, and like I said, I got a blog post detailing it. Um, I think it's pretty interesting coming out, so you can try that right now. There is only, don't let the major version number scare you. There's only one small migration you need to make in your code to make it work, and you should just enjoy the twice as fast code. So, Yeah, it was fun. Gavin <clears throat> cranked for a while. Uh, Gavin. Um, Eric, whatever, whoever your name is, person on the other side of my screen. <laughs> so we were all in one room helping helping everyone all at the same time. Um, <clears throat> Eric cranked for a while. This was like some kind of like CF timer type tags, you no know, start and stop stuff. And then I was like, Eric, you using Fusion Reactor Profiler to to figure out what, what left little slow things are in quick. He was like, no, I always have to reinstall it. Come show me how to do it. So <laughs> we, we installed fusion reactor and we were using the fusion reactor profiler feature. And I mean, it was digging down at all the little nitty gritty parts of quick. And, you know, we found stuff we thought we were doing once and we were doing it like 500 times. And it was, you know, 
taking 200 milliseconds so we could shave that down to 13 or I don't know what the numbers all were, but it was, it was lots of fun. Um, anyway, little, little bump there, the fusion reactor profiler for doing some, some fun, uh, deep debugging into uh, all the little parts of quick that we could make faster. That's right. In fact, I noticed later on, we have a blog post, uh, from Ben Nadal about fusion reactor subtransactions. That makes me want to go <laughs> jump back in there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought about it the other day, but I didn't mention it out loud. I have a little library uh, on ForgeBox that'll give you a little like start and stop method that'll make the Java calls behind the scenes that will let you register subtransactions. It, it's really that easy. You, yeah. know, you go you go to the the trans the main transaction in Fusion Reactor Web UI, and then on the relations tab, um, you can open it up and you can see all the, the subtransactions inside of it, which you can arbitrarily define you know, um, to be whatever you want. And it gives you timing in them. Any like database calls that happen will also be appropriately nested inside of them. Um, it's really great to do just kind of total custom uh, profiling. But anyway, that wasn't meant to be a fusion reactor spot. That was meant to be a, <coughs> a quick spot. But no worries. I, it, uh, I have to ask the question now. So if you have the a transaction <clears throat> name, a subtransaction, and you've given it the same name um, and it gets called multiple times, do they group or do they... They stack along the timeline. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I don't actually know. All right. I've, no, well, I've never will, actually tried that. I will report back to you because that's what I want to do. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. all you quick users, go get that lovely speed increase. Uh, there was a QB beta, which is less interesting. It just fixed some bugs in the current beta. Um, I think I have one more feature to add there before wrapping up. So that should come be releasing soon. And then... This one's exciting for anybody using Coldbox Elixir. Um, you know, my name's on this package, but this was all John Clausen here. A, v, a version 4 beta running on Webpack 5, Node 16+, plus, all the updated dependencies to get NPM to stop yelling at you. It is out now. The migration guide, uh, again, there is almost no code migration. Just basically having to wipe your Node modules and letting Node figure out what versions of dependencies it wants now. You're gonna say wipe your nose. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's similar. Um, <laughs> so, some awesome betas out right now. Please check them out so we can get your feedback, any bugs that you may have, so we can get these released. Uh, one more release, but not really a beta though. From this was Content Box 5.2. Got some a few bug fixes wrapped up for you in the latest version of Content Box there. You can yeah, check we, out what's new on the docs and upgrade <clears throat> using command box. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just saying, it feels like we've had kind of an influx of, of new people looking into content box and trying it out and running through the installers, uh, which is which is great. Um, so all those fresh eyeballs have helped unearth little rough edges here and there. So yeah, that's what we were addressing there. There was lots more from our retreat uh, that is still in progress. So keep your ears on and eyes on this podcast we'll let you know when those launch some exciting so, things coming yeah we started an internal document just for everybody to put down everything they accomplished during our retreat which was pretty much all hackathons um i don't know what what luis is planning on doing with the document but it totally needs to be a blog post or a community post somewhere just kind of showing all the progress because because i think it's cool so what do we got Ooh, into the box Yep, our call for proposals is open. It I thought I thought P was papers. Call for papers is a call for proposals. I don't call know. For papers. Yes, both. <laughs> we don't really accept the proposals on paper. We've moved on to a digital format. If you don't send the the paper, and we won't accept it. Um, yeah, no, so this is open till April seventeenth. Into the box will be live in Houston in September. We're so, here live in person. We're not a cat. Yes. <laughs> so we're excited to see you there and to hear from you. We'll have the links in the show notes for you to send in your papers slash proposals. And what do we say? April 17th. So that's uh, a little over 10 days from now, 12 days from now. So we'll have the schedule out as soon as we can. I know a lot of people want to know what the schedule is going to be and what the workshops are going to be so they can, you know, help convince their boss. Um, but start working on your bosses now, getting uh getting early bird tickets purchased and we'll have the schedules out as soon as we know uh, what the heck people have submitted. But always feel free to give us suggestions as well. If you're like, oh man, I really wish we had a workshop on, you know, on quick or QB or content box. 
let us know because we always take that stuff into account and helps us influence our our selection. We have a couple webinars, one past, one future. We have Forgeboxication, which is a great word, with Gavin Picken. <laughs> this was last month's webinar. It is up for free on CFCast right now. You can catch nice. it in the Ordis Webinars 2022 series and learn how to get your own package up on Forgebox. How to Forgeboxify your package. Just like the, the ghost of webinars past. So <laughs> you're telling me there's free content on CFCast, Eric. Wow. Lots of free content in CFCast. <laughs> I should uh, run the times one of these days and tell you how much. So you don't even have to sign up for an account to watch it. Ooh, very nice. So what's our next upcoming webinar? Here I see. Oh, this is by you. It's by me. Eric Peterson, That's CB Security, Passwords, Tokens, and JWTs. Oh, you missed an opportunity to say, oh, my, at the end. Oh, no, I didn't miss that. I purposely oh, chose not yeah, to. Yeah, it, it has been a little, that. A little <laughs> overdone. Well, anytime I tweet about it, I'll make sure to include that forgotten, overdone text at the end. So this is going to be April 29th. So the end of this month at 11 a.m. Central Time. Um, yeah. says, learn how to integrate CB security into your application, whether you were using passwords, API tokens, JWTs or a combination of all three. So tell me, there's probably some people listening, thinking, what on earth is a JWT? I've read about it and I don't want to admit, I don't know what it is. Will you be covering that in your uh, webinario? Um, I'll be covering it briefly. You know, it, JWTs are just a kind of API token in all actuality. So, but they're all the rage right now. So. And they're really hard to implement, right? No, not really. It's not especially oh, oh, with okay. CB security. You just say, hey, I want JWTs, and we spin them out for you. So, Excellent. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm excited because I plan on taking you through putting it in all of these different situations. Um, in fact, we just had one that working with a client that they have a combination of user JWT tokens and site API tokens, both talking to the same CB security instance. So. You can make it work. Excellent. All right. And uh, Adobe continues to pump out the workshops. We'll tell you about the couple they have coming up here in April. There is one on April 21st, Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. It is Adobe Cold Fusion Truths with Mark Takata. I still think that's a very excellent um, Truths. workshop name. It's about right. Booleans. <laughs> um <laughs> But so does he just, get you hear does it he get and his truth? Like, and do I get my truth? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets their own truth. You get a truth. You get a truth. And then the next week, Tuesday, April 26th, at 9 a.m. Central European time, there is an Adobe Confusion Workshop with Damien Bruin-Donks. There are more coming up as well. They have uh, May posted as well, and you can find that on their website. And uh, we'll have that link in the show notes so you can check it out. Excellent. All right, Brad, how about you tell us about what's new on CFCast this week? Well, according to the show notes, Eric, uh, the CFCast content updates include um, this just released, um, Gavin Pixon on Forge Boxification, which we mentioned above. So that's the recording of last month's webinar. And then coming soon, we're going to have continuation of the publisher first Forge Box package as well. So... Now that's a popular topic. It's easy to publish a package, but if you've never done it, it seems a lot more complicated than it is once you've done it first. So I like this series of just kind of showing uh, the steps. So that'll be coming up soon. And in the meantime, you can console yourself with Gavin's last webinar. I And I don't know the exact dates, but it's scheduled already for it to come out this week. So be watching awesome. there on CFCasts. Ready your CLIs, folks. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some conferences. You have one coming up, Brad, headed to Dev Nexus in just a week, right? Yeah, that's uh, really close. So Dev Nexus is a, a big old Java conference. Usually has about two thousand plus people there, and this is their first year coming back in person um, in Atlanta, Georgia. And so Luis and I have gone there several years. We've talked about it here on the show. Uh, we've spoken there. Um, I submit topics on Cold Fusion and CFML and Lucy every year. And they smile and say no thanks to my Cold Fusion topics every year. 
Um, so Luis and I are both speaking at Dev Nexus this year, unfortunately, not on Cold Fusion because they will never accept our topics. Uh, Luis is speaking on Alpine JS, declare and react with simplicity. And uh, the talk of mine, what they chose is actually uh, an oldie, but a goodie. What is a pull request? Contributing to open source. I gave that back when CF objective was dev objective for a year, if I recall. Um, also, some others from the uh, Cold Fusion team will be uh, will be joining Luis and I out there. Balbino is coming up from El Salvador. And I believe Michael Bourne is also traveling down. So... There's going to be four of us, um, the Fusion Reactor guys. Well, David Tattersall specifically from Fusion Reactor will also be on site in what I believe is going to be a joint Adobe Fusion Reactor booth. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what he's doing, but either way, it'll be a little bit of a party. It's always fun. I always manage to run into some like old Cold Fusion guys like Ray Camden is oftentimes there. Uh, I met Peter Bell there. Um, there's a lot of people that seem to wind up at this conference. So we'll see what the Java world is up to, <clears throat> see what Oracle is up to. Uh, see how much free T-shirts we can get, and we'll come back and report on uh, on what on what new cool things there are. And if I'm if possible, I'll try to slide some cold fusion into my talk. Shh, don't tell. Oh, we know you will. <laughs> it's not even a question. It was so as big as this conference is, they have like thirteen like simultaneous packs or something. It's really huge. I've always wondered if I just showed up and just gave a completely different talk. Like, would anybody even notice? You know, like, hi, guys, you're in the Learning Cold Fusion 101 class. Nope, this is where you're supposed to be. You know, just, like, just give that talk. Like, would anybody even, like, care? I don't know. That may be the last year they ever asked me to talk. But <laughs> I, I think that might be right. So uh, when you're done going to this conference, go ahead and do that. <laughs> yeah, the last year. I'm like, all right. <clears throat> all right. After that, coming up May 10th is DockerCon. Free online virtual conference. You can sign up now at Docker com slash DockerCon. And if they can choose a more confusing URL, I have not seen it. If they could put DockerCon in the subdomain, like DockerCon.Docker.com slash DockerCon, that would, that would really make it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, after that, one that we're interested in is the VJS Comp here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, June 8th through 10th. Beach Code and View. We know a lot of you out there are also fans of Vue, and uh, we hope to see you there for the ones of us that get to go. And then so CF we, Summit. Yeah, what? we got some oh. cool news about CF Summit. We have some, I, um, I have been told they are official-ish dates, <laughs> and that that needs to be uh, communicated. So uh, Mark Takata right. tweeted out that it's coming in October, in person, in Las Vegas. Um, I believe this is at the beginning of the Adobe Learning Conference, which is another one of their conferences. And the official-ish dates are October 3rd and 4th with the Cold Fusion Certification class and test on the 5th. Very nice. So yeah, we're so very excited for that and hope to see the call for um, proposals, presentations, and papers soon. <laughs> and and sponsors as well. Yes, we love sponsoring yeah. CF Summit. I, I've really been missing the uh, in-person CF Summit. It's the largest Cold Fusion conference that still happens, and it's the one time a year you actually get to meet all of the uh, the people from the Cold Fusion team. So uh, I I didn't think that they would be back in person this year. It's, stuff's been so up in the air. I was super excited when Mark Takata announced this. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. And I will be submitting talks on Cold Fusion to this conference. <laughs> you, should, you, should just, you should only submit Java talks to this one, and only Cold Fusion talks to. It's like to how to how to be Nexus. productive with Spring Boot. <laughs> you know, uh, I've 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 gone to some of the like the Java talks at Dev Nexus that are talking about like you know Spring or like Play frameworks. And seriously, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, Coldbox is so much easier than this. This is killing me. I have to do what? You know. If only they would let me show them how cold box does. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Uh, so the Sea of Summit dates um, have made one slight, uh, I don't want to say change, because we don't have any changes to announce yet. But for Into the Box, we are still going in September. We are currently <laughs> uh, looking at alternate dates, because right now the plan was to do you know, the weekend before, 
the Vig- at CF Summit. And uh, at least for us at Team Ortis and any of you that wanted to do both, we'd basically be flying from Houston to Vegas instead of going <laughs> home. Uh, which yeah, and that really cramps like, yeah. and it, it cramps our abilities to do pre-conferences as well. So right. I don't know that Adobe paid any attention to literally the only other Cold Fusion conference they had to avoid in the entire year when they chose their dates, but probably not. Yeah, my guess is uh, CF Summit didn't get to choose their dates. They got told, here's Adobe <clears throat> Learning Summit, and you will be before it. Yeah, I, so. <laughs> I agree. I think I think they're the, the, the add-on probably in that case. Yeah. And that, that makes sense for Adobe to do it all at once. So so the official dates for Into the Box, we're still looking September. We are um, doing some checks on what dates we can get that there because we want to see all of you. We want to be at both. <laughs> And if they're right next to each other, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So. so we're looking at earlier September, but as soon as we know, we will try to get those out so you guys can finalize your plans. We thought we had our dates, and then we're like, oh, crap, it's not going to work very well. So. I, I do believe um, in the spirit of official-ish announcements, our plan <laughs> is to move into the box back to May for next year. You might recall yes. that's where it was for a long time. And we moved it to September in 2021, hoping to go in person, thinking that we were rounding the end of the pandemic at the time. Mm-hmm. It turned out not to happen quite like we thought, and we've been kind of stuck in September. So this will probably be our last year in September, moving back to May next year. But uh, again, official-ish. You, you can't quote <laughs> me on it or hold me to it. <laughs> you said in the podcast, it's legally binding. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of Into the Boxes, we also have our Into the Box LATAM for Latin America. Um, that was in person in San Salvador the first year, and then COVID happened, so it was uh, online. Have there, have there only been two ITB LATAMs? Is that right? I've, I'm not sure. I think we're on oh, our okay. third, anyway. actually. Is it? Have we, did we do two, on, two in person? Or I'm sorry, two online? Balbino probably knows. Uh, Balbino was at the first in-person ITB LATAM. And that was the first time he actually met all the Ortis people. And now he works with us, which is pretty cool. But anyway, so that is coming up in person again as well. So our tentative dates-ish dates are December 1st and 2nd. And that's for Into the Box Latin America uh, 2022. So um, keep that in your sights. Um, Anyone you know in the Latin America area, that will be happening again in San Salvador. And if I'm lucky, maybe I'll get to go down there. in person to be a part of it so awesome cf camp we are all shrug emoji we're, we're all waiting for the glorious announcement that the cf camp is back we hope that comes soon if you know anything about cf camp please let us know that's right I, we, we, we haven't actually reached out i figure i could go bug mishi nat or Schmitz or someone who's usually involved and see if they have any plans every time i ask about it uh, i get told that you know oh munich's a hot spot with covid travel restrictions are still crazy so um i know it's going to be tricky pulling from so many different countries so we'll we'll wait with bated breath <laughs> for for cf camp to be able to start up again that's right and if you are looking for more conferences comps.tech has you covered in fact you can see the one cold fusion conference currently listed there which is us into the box. Oh, Mark Takata needs to uh, get CF Summit added in, doesn't he? As soon as they have official dates instead of official ish dates. Are you listening, Mark? <laughs> oh, this if there's only one, that means ITB Latam isn't added. No, because those are both those are official dates too. We added uh I added oh. into the box actually a couple weeks ago because we had official dates and now now wah, wah. That, so. Serves yeah. you right, thinking that official right? dates. Trying to be on top of things. That's what I get. All right. Let's move on to blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. I decided to put the Ben Corner up front this time. Um, we have quite a few blog posts, so we're going to breeze through most of them. And uh, let's start with the, with the Ben Corner. First one we have here is using closures to bind naked functions in co- to cold fu- to components in cold fusion. So I got tripped up that I'm calling something a naked function. Is yeah, that I didn't allowed even know for what, this podcast? Are we, I don't even know what that means. What is a naked function? <laughs> I believe in this case uh, we're talking about 
functions being bound to the like the lexical this and variable scope. Right. And right. A, a naked function not being bound to anything. But what does he mean by is that? Does he mean like a headless function? It's like not a number function, like a built-in function. Or um, I believe something? it's when you can like you you just define it with the function keyword. It doesn't. It oh, has, so he just means a UDF inside the same component. Yes. Somehow I missed this post of his, so I haven't read it yet. Um. So if you have not done much with closures, or you've heard that term, and you're like, let's that's just when I pass a function around, right? Well, close. That's part of it. This kind of gives you a better understanding about what makes a closure uh, versus just uh, a user-defined function. And Ben uses some of the closure abilities of Cold Fusion to pass around uh, Q methods wherever he would like to. So I think this Makes is sense. a great uh, explanation to how closures work. And um, I did find his bind method uh, proxy method kind of interesting. It reminded me of JavaScript's native bind implementation. If any of you remember that from the like jQuery days where you had to like bind to this or bind to <laughs> the object you actually wanted it to run on. <clears throat> kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, what's interesting is a classical OO person would probably ask why you aren't just passing the object around and calling them as member functions. Um, it is interesting. I mean, because yeah, like like you said, closure is not only bound to the the variables. Well, I mean, UDFs basically are variables in the variable scope. But yeah, I'd never really considered having uh, a binding method whose purpose was to simply be a, a higher order function that you pass another UDF into, and then it runs it inside of a closure for the express purpose of you know uh, binding the references to the other uh, the other methods in its in its original context. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I would uh, yeah. speak a small word of caution here about um, closure performance, mm -hmm. which is that the more that you bind over and collect, you know, from the this and the variable scope, you might find that some of these things don't get uh, cleaned up, garbage collected when you thought they would, because they live for a lot longer. So, uh, as <clears throat> as usual, if you think you have a problem. Uh, measure before just randomly changing things so <laughs> yeah i mean there's it's hard to define because even the engines are different but <clears throat> you know anytime you declare a udf it's kind of standalone anytime you declare a closure basically all the the local variables the arguments and the variable scope and even the this scope you know in the context of that closure is you know bound to it and as long as that closure lives all those other variables exist so if you did a CF query, right, and you pulled back like a million rows out of your database, and then on the next line of code, even if in your mind is completely unrelated, you declare a closure that gets placed ultimately in, let's say, the server or the application scope and lives for days, that query with a million rows will be stuck in memory because it's tied to that closure, and that closure could technically reference it. Um, and so you can you can wind up with a lot of overhead sometimes. And that's kind of it's a downside. It's part of why Misha hates closures because he has to manage all these extra scopes to get, you know, kept in memory as long as the closure is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still looking at Ben's code, trying to figure out why I would want to pull the push method out of an object and just call it like sort of headlessly and why that wouldn't just be q.push everywhere I wanted it. But maybe the, this is really just for the, the sake times of the I've example. seen some of those useful is I've wanted to use kind of a shorthand where I've passed, like maybe I'm doing a map over an array and I just want to pass the function in. Um, but the right. function needs to reference some other lexical scope. And all of a sudden it's running in the context of my component. So mm -hmm. that's why I usually just define the closure right there and instead of rebinding it. But this is another yeah. use case. So it is interesting. Um, and, and I can say for sure, when you when you pull just a normal UDF out of a component, the variable scope, you know, switches. So if you have a CFC and you have a UDF, just a normal UDF that says, you know, dump variables, and you pull that reference out and you stick it in a different CFC, it'll now be dumping variables in every CFC, which is obviously different from how a closure behaves. But anyway, uh, very interesting. And uh, I guess worth reading through to get a better understanding since there's a lot of ambiguity to some people and how it works oh the next one is the one you were talking about the yes. um sub transactions 
Yeah, so this in this one, uh, Ben talks about getting fusion reactors set up on his blog. Previously, he's talked about using it in his uh, work app. And this time, uh, he's on his blog and he's creating track transactions. And uh, my favorite isn't the code. It's He has a, a picture in there showing the tracing where you can see the full web request. And here's the on request start place. And here's the processing index place. And like, yes, I need to put this into quick and I need well, to see this breakdown. <laughs> so what's interesting is Luis wrote, what did he call it? Profile box? Luis wrote a module years ago for Coldbox, which basically tapped into all the Coldbox interceptors, you know, pre-view render, post-view render, pre-interception, post-interception, like all this stuff. And it would send all these metrics straight to Fusion Reactor, and you could track, <clears throat> track your view renderings, your handler executions. Even you could graph the contents of your caches. It was super cool, and it used well, the whole API. Um, the unfortunate thing was uh, we tried to... Uh, sell it as a commercial module as like a value add-on um, and basically nobody would buy it. Um, it was like super cool, amazing, awesome. Everyone was like, nah, we don't need that. Um, and so we basically just quit messing with it uh, quite a few years back. Um, but it's basically the kind of stuff uh, Ben is showing here, but it was all cold box and you just brought the module in and the magic just happened. Um, I see a blog post from you, Brad, on July 2013 about profile box. That was a long time ago. It was. And so, it, is, it is no longer for sale, but if any of you out there are like, wait, I want that now, like, uh, reach out. I mean, I would say well, I want that and I'm willing to <laughs> invest some money into it. I, I had asked Luis at the time when we just said, all right, we're, we're going to stop talking about this, if we were going to just open source it. And I, I think we kind of forgot about it. Because nobody really cared about it anyway. And so I get this in some private repo sitting somewhere. But it, it has, you know, examples of everything. If you're wanting to do some of the stuff that Ben is doing, <clears throat> I would encourage you to look at the Frappy SDK that I have on Forgebox and GitHub. It does not require Coldbox, even though the examples show installing it with Commandbox, because, I mean, it's the easiest way to do it. Um, but it does a lot of what Ben has. I don't know if it does everything. It could be easily added to. Um but it's what I'm using whenever I want to do this. And it abstracts the Java calls as well as the creation of the Java classes. And it falls back if Fusion Reactor is not installed. Um, anyway, I'd recommend you looking at that. And Ben, if you're listening, why didn't you use Frappy SDK? Um, anyway, but yeah, I, I already wrote that. I have clients using it and it, it helps you do what Ben's doing. But within my opinion, less boilerplate, all the Java casting, you don't need to worry about. Um, but yeah. All right, I'll, we'll throw that uh, link to the Forgebox module for the Frappy SDK in the show notes. The next one's pretty quick. Uh, ben talks about a short code redirect. So he has his, it's like BG, bj.am.in or something like that. Um, short codes, they were all the rage like a decade and a half ago. <laughs> now it's just kind of all automatic. But uh, he has been using it to just do kind of a blind redirect in his cold fusion code to his main site. And he moved that to Netlify, which is um, a service for running uh, various websites, mostly like Jamstack. So like your JavaScript front end kind of things. But in this case, it doesn't run anything on Netf Netlify. It just handles the redirects and the benefit here that he had was it has automatic SSL. So, kind of, I don't know, it's a neat thing to read. I can't really think of a use case I have for it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a, a neat idea. Uh, next up, I'll be honest, I read this and my brain still hurts. This is about, basically about date math in Cold Fusion. It's entitled Adding Create Time Span to Date Time Values in Cold Fusion. And I understand the premise, which is that, like, the date time span creates a decimal that is, like, a number of days. But then something about the Unix epoch, like, as opposed to the Cold Fusion epoch, and I started getting confused. <laughs> um, I didn't read it, but I just scrolled through it, and there was a lot of confusion, so I don't know what it means either. But... <clears throat> Basically, date math is hard. Um, and this gives, he's given us a way to 
again, add that time span, that fractional number of days into a date object and get a date object out. <clears throat> now, this sort of seems like a missed opportunity in Cold Fusion. Um, you know, in the spirit of making hard things easy and providing, you know, helper methods around common stuff developers do, why the freaking heck does Cold Fusion not have any, like, built-in, like, epoch maths, like, helper functions? Because that's something I've, I've had to do several times over the years, interacting with APIs or Couchbase or any one of a million services that want an epoch date. And yes, there's always workarounds and date adds to seconds and all that nonsense. Why isn't Cold Fusion giving us anything more out of the box for this stuff? It just, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, Sometimes... at this point, I'm whenever I need something like that, I'm either you know, finding where I did it in a different project or even starting to look at like, wait... All of these are instances of the Java instant class under the hood. I'll just call two epoch milli and get it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've done the same thing. There's a lot of, I mean, it's actually almost sad because the Java helper classes are oftentimes more useful than Cold Fusion's built in functions when it comes to a lot of that kind of stuff. It's like the Cold Fusion engineers are just kind of like are completely unaware of like the sort of problems we have to solve a lot of times. And it's never occurred to them like, wow, like we're missing stuff in the Cold Fusion language. Java's surpassed us in this area. Because, yeah, I've, I've dipped down into Java classes quite a few times recently. Um, I uh, do have a, a Forge but, box module that has almost nothing in it uh, called Coda. But it is my mm -hmm. landing page for any date helpers. So uh, if we <clears> have some ideas, we should add our Epoch one there because you're right. Right now, it just has the format distance, which is to say, like, hey, between these two dates, give me a human-readable string, and it will do, like, about an hour. About three years. Oh, I like know. that. Yeah, so that's where I'm putting all of this stuff. So maybe we need a make this date the Unix timestamp, please and thank you. I like that. Charlie, in the chat, to answer your question, uh, Lucy doesn't have any date functions that Adobe doesn't have, to my knowledge, at least not in this regard <clears throat> um but yeah to to adam's comment uh yes and we do create modules but i don't think i should have to another example that annoys me is yaml i think yaml is common enough that everybody's had to do something with it i created a yaml module like i don't know six years ago and i put in tickets in both the lucy and adobe bug tracker saying where's serialize and deserialize yaml like, this would be super handy. We got JSON, like, 15 years ago, and both of those tickets are currently rotting away. And I'm like, come on, people. Like, let's make hard things easy. Like, why isn't this stuff baked into the language? Anyway, enough ranting. <laughs> and uh, until that time where we have a deserialized YAML and serialized YAML in the languages, you can install CBYAML and get it right in your Coldbox application. <laughs> those exact functions. So we try to fill the gaps we see. <clears throat> Okay, uh, a couple tweets here. CF Hawaii tweeted out they're looking for a Cold Fusion a speaker on Cold Fusion ORM. DM if interested. So if that is you, check out the <coughs> link in the show notes to the tweet, and you can tweet back at them and probably have an opportunity to tell us all about it. So John Barrett, who who was the manager of, the, of that user group, posted the same thing on Slack. And somebody asked him if it needed to be Hibernate ORM or if it could just be like one of the other ORM frameworks. And I don't know that he actually replied. I'm guessing he probably only knows about Hibernate ORM. That's what he's asking about. But anyway, <clears throat> worth, worth suggesting, I suppose, if you're willing to do something on maybe uh, quick ORM and you wanted to suggest that to him. Adam, the <clears throat> in the chat, the, the YAML module uh, does not require a cold box to my understanding. Well, it depends. It may bundle Java <laughs> Loader to load the jar, so I'd have to look at it. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. If you want it to be automatic, loading the necessary jars, uh, you'll need a cold box application. But you can always go into your own Java settings, <coughs> pop in the paths, and be on your way. Yeah, and that's one of the that's one of the really annoying things on my rant of oh my gosh, why have Adobe and Lucy not solved this? Actually, Lucy has. Adobe hasn't which is I can't load ad hoc jars at runtime from a third-party module without having to have the developer edit their stupid application.cfc, right? I want to be able to take a module, I just drop it in, install my module, boom, 
jars are automatically added to the class path. Lucy does allow that. They have like the third or fourth argument to create object, right? They also have the action update to CF settings. You can update this uh, Java settings. Adobe has nothing. Their, their answer is, well, you have to go edit this completely unrelated file and add your jars as a manual step before the code can run, which is why we still use Java Loader in some of our crap, because that's the only way to have a cross-engine compatible method of loading jars just purely on the fly from a third-party module, which pisses me off to no end. But it's like, la, 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 la. like there's completely unaware of it. I don't know. It annoys me so much. But that always makes it more difficult because you have this, like, if you're in cold box, yeah, boom, install, blah. Jars are loaded. It's amazing. If Styles had a cold box and it's always like, oh, no, hold on, manual steps. Um, I don't know. It makes me angry thinking about it. Let's move on. Tell us <laughs> how you really feel, Brad. I know. It shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> We're a freaking JVM language. That should be our jam, you know? And it's, it's missing so much sometimes. All <clears> right. <throat> well, we're going to include a tweet from Team Ordis just to show off some f- the, a couple of fun pictures of us at our big retreat. <laughs> like we told you, there's more fun things coming. I mean, if I had to drop some teasers, I know that we're getting Elasticsearch support in Forgebox coming soon. Mm-hmm. I've been working on a queue implementation. Mm-hmm. There's some fun stuff. So let's move on, though. We can't we can't reveal everything. <laughs> okay, a few a few more blogs. Like I said, we have a good amount this week. This one from James Moberg. S- going over the CF dump show UDFs behavior. Um, just kind of comparing and contrasting Adobe and Lucy engines, what they do with the show UDFs. And I think the thing that made me so sad is he, uh, James says, I use a third party CF dump because it's consistent between platforms. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> such a fail. Uh, not for him, for the engines. Just, ah, okay. You know, I'll, I'll admit, I, I had forgotten the show to, the show UDFs flag even existed in CF Dump. I hadn't used it in years. Basically, you know, when you CF Dump a, a CFC, you know, you might have like hundreds of methods. You have just dozens of methods, right? You know, and it creates a ton of additional HTML. And, you know, maybe you're only dumping it to be able to see the, you know, the name of it and some of this, you know, public properties. And so you add, you know, show to UFs equals false. And it just, well, depending on the engine, either I think completely omits or collapses up the, the UDFs that are part of the CFC. Um, handy, like I said, I, I completely forgot it even existed. Um, but yeah, interesting uh, that he went through and, and checked both of those. Next, we have a pair of, of blog posts from Mitrasoft. First one about um, modifying Lucy administrator settings programmatically using the CF admin tag. Uh, both of these are good, like tutorial blog posts, um, or this one's even a good reference one because uh, the CF admin tag. I feel like I have to go to like four websites to find out everything it actually can do, and this gives well, you sample code for kind of <laughs> your your main ones: adding data sources, updating data sources, seeing the Lucy version restarting the Lucy server, things like that. So everything that happens in the Lucy administrator uses the CF admin tag behind the the scenes. The big problem with the CF admin tag is it's undocumented, could change at any time. And it's one of those like dragons beware kind of things. So like you can do anything, but it totally might break like in the next version of Lucy. Um, And so, yeah, usually the only place you can reliably go to see how the heck to use the thing is in the Lucy source code, you know, with the actual administrator. You find the page that adds data sources and you can kind of see how it's used. Um, Lucy's administrator API, the big problem with that was always it's only only ever been like 5 to 10% implemented. Um, I don't know, maybe it's gotten a little better over the years, but the admin tag was supposed to be like the documented use me instead. And it was like, okay, I want to add an event gateway. And it was like, oh, yeah, we don't support that yet. Um, which always left people in this really annoying lurch, which is one of the reasons I worked on CF config, because I was so annoyed at the fact that, you know, there wasn't like any officially uh, a supported way to do it. But yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see this as a form of some documentation. Honestly, this probably should exist on the Lucy docs, not just on the Microsoft blog. However, if I recall, Misha in the past always pushed back against documenting anything in the CF admin tag because I would complain regularly, CF admin isn't documented. And he'd be like, yep, never will be. It's undocumented. I could change it at any time. I think he always felt like if he documented it, then he would get locked into it. 
and he wanted to have the ability to break it anytime he wanted. So anyway, I guess it's like a giant asterisk that goes next to all of this. Um, but yeah. Cool post. Uh, fun times. <laughs> so if you're looking to, uh, <clears throat> you know, there be dragons using the CF admin tag, this is a good reference. So thank you for that one, Microsoft. Uh, mm-hmm. They had another one that is, I think, uh, interesting, but maybe not as uh, widespread useful. It's minifying JavaScript and CSS, but using uh, Java and the, I don't know how to pronounce this, the UE, UE library. I, I mean, this isn't the first time this has been done. I'm trying to decide if this is the same library we've used. So Kurt Gratz had a library he had worked on for a while that he had even made a module for content box. But I'm pretty certain used the same library. And I think Luis had even worked on a, on a port of this once um, that did exactly this. It would do, you know, Java-based compression of assets. Um, and uh, I'm pretty certain that um, um, Gunnar Lieb uh, from Frankfurt also has a similar uh, command box module that uses a library, either this or something similar to it. Um, but like you said, it, I've always seen very few people that go down the route of minimizing uh, assets with full fusion. I think I think most people just use npm tooling. I'm pretty certain it's what we use everywhere. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not to say it isn't kind of cool, and interesting. It's I mean, it's like I said, it's not the first time someone's done this. But um, yeah, I guess I thought of it because possible. we've we've been seeing a lot of work in the kind of the low to no JavaScript tools, uh, CB Wire being one of them that is being developed at Ortis where you don't really have to write as much JavaScript and maybe you could get away with no JavaScript build pipeline, which, I mean, I love a lot of stuff in the JavaScript world, but that's not one of them. So, <laughs> so interesting idea. And uh, we'll throw that one in the show notes as well. Okay, I think I put a couple, uh, one or just one, one question from Stack Overflow in here. Uh, mostly self-serving. So this is a question about how to print or display the CF query with the CF query param values replaced in it. Um, so this is the idea that they've written a query, they've put in all the params, and when they dump it out, they want to basically have a query they can copy and throw in. And um, they didn't have any answers on the Stack Overflow yet. I wasn't sure if I wanted to put mine on because it felt kind of... I don't know. My answer is use QB because QB has a way when you dump a query to say, hey, replace all my bindings. And instead of getting all the question marks in your query, you'll actually get bindings in there. Be able to take that out, even see the SQL type that's going in and use that right away. So the re- that's Doesn't... why I didn't like answer the question because I always hate the Stack Overflow questions that are like, how do I do this in Cold Fusion? And somebody says, use Java, you know, or <laughs> go use Python. And it's like, I... It's not that bad, but QB does solve this for you if you are listening. And does not require a cold box. Um, to be clear, though, are they just asking for the equivalent of like what the debugging information of Cold Fusion always historically showed or what like Fusion Reactor shows where it shows your JDBC calls? Is that basically what they're Yeah, trying like to Fusion see? Reactor shows for sure. I don't know about the first one where it replaces any question marks or colon param names with the actual value. I forget how it's actually formatted, but the, the parameter values are in... I haven't used Cold Fusion's like bottom of the page debugging in years now, um, but I was pretty certain the values were there. I know Fusion Reactor does it, and I know they have to go through hoops to get everything and combine it back together to make it look like that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I know that... Eh, I know that when you have like a database error, like if you're calling a store procedure and it blows up, the exception object will have like all the parameters that were passed in as part of it. Um, but that only applies in a scenario in which you're catching, you know, some database exception. Um, and it, I don't know if they're just trying to just to debug random stuff or what. Question's a little vague without seeing some code. Yeah. So in any case, I use that question as an excuse to plug something I think is cool about QB. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> Um, well, and if I'm not mistaken, QB integrates with Logbox, which allows me to have granular control over each of the different logging categories, right? Mm-hmm. So I can turn on and off individual logs. I mean, just like you do with Log4j and Hibernate, right? You can turn on a very specific logging category or turn it off or change the level. Um, 
which is which is a pretty nice uh, use of that. All right, it looks like we got two more left in our blogs, and this one is another one that made my brain hurt. Um, it is from Nolan Irk. Haven't heard from him for a while. Hi, Nolan. And it is using Hazelcast with CFML. I noticed Hazelcast is a sponsor at um, DevNexus coming up here. So That's probably why they seem so familiar. Because I think they're a sponsor every year now that you mention it. In fact, I may have some Hazelcast stickers floating around somewhere. But I, I had no <laughs> clue what they were, though. Like, literally, I was like, Hazelcast? What, are, what do they do? Yeah, their, their website is very... How do I put it? Um, it feels very <laughs> enterprisey. I'm trying to read through it, and I have no idea what I'm reading. Um, looks like something about doing data pipelines. Real-time um, intelligence. It's a streaming and memory-first application platform for fast, stateful, data-intensive workloads on-premises, at the edge, or as a fully managed cloud service. What the heck does that mean? Don't know, but we can go through <laughs> Nolan's blog post and see how he's using it. It seems to give him some... Uh, data structures that you might be familiar with, like he has a map here, and um, he's putting values into it. I'm guessing it's just in a place that they have access to lots of, you know, like this is maybe all in RAM or kind of something, you know, that you're not using your machine's resources. Um, is, like, is there a difference between this and just like a couch base bucket with key values? I don't know. I mean, because it kind of just looks like a basic, like, cache but then again maybe he's only demoing a fraction of the functionality but there is right. some like sql stuff you can do probably kind of like couchbase's nickel queries so charlie just said it's another big data streaming solution like kafka i thought kafka was like a message queue though uh of course they would say it's very different in ways because it's it just hmm so we're going to just point you to this article because I'll tell you, I've read it a couple times and I'm still not quite sure what it does. But if you are in that world of data streaming stuff, Kafka, you know, data pipelines, you'll probably understand this a thousand times better than I do. So, <laughs> Alrighty, we do have one last minute blog post here. The Adobe Cold Fusion Summit recordings from 2021 are now on YouTube. So we'll get that there for you in the show notes, but you can go watch all of the recordings from last year. Or just look up the Adobe Cold Fusion user on YouTube and you'll be able to find them all there as well. Whew! We Lots to talk with, about we, this week. We should uh we should have worked with Adobe to put them put their videos on CFCast. Uh it is open. Anybody from Adobe, if you'd like that, <laughs> we'd love to have you. I uh, I have to guess that they're probably not going to do that, but that's, that's okay. We'd still love to have it. So <laughs> does Adobe still have the Adobe TV or it was like tv.adobe.com or whatever? They used to have an entire like video like service they had built. In fact, Aaron Greenlee from Wrecking Ball Media had built that way back in the day using Coldbox and Hibernate, and it was this whole thing. And I don't even know if Adobe even has that service anymore because that's where they would you know, put like video trainings and stuff. Kind of curious what even happened to that. Hmm. First, maybe it exists and it's a totally different team that manages it and it's easier for the cool fusion guys just to throw their stuff on YouTube. I, I don't know. Hard to say. True. All right. Let's talk about jobs. Our good friends at getcfmljobs.com have over 66 positions from 37 companies across 33 locations in five countries. Four new jobs this week, two remote positions. Um, all of these are uh, U.S.-based, even though even the remote ones. So two full-time remote positions, a senior confusion developer in Cullen, Pennsylvania, and a remote senior confusion developer. It looks like they're also based out of Boston. All full-time positions, all available over on GetCFMLJobs.com. If you're looking for other job links or the solutions has our careers page in the about us section. And we have a link also to prosource360.com slash careers. That is a job that you would need secret clearance for. Secret clearance. There's also a jobs channel on the CFML Slack team. Um, 
with a little bit of traffic in there. In fact, someone posted a job last week looking for a candidate with flex, flex and flash experience. So, hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, it's in there. All, all yours if you want it. If, if you do have that experience, you likely can charge a nice <laughs> premium at this point. <laughs> I, I thought there wasn't a browser that would literally even let you install Flash this well, point. I don't, what, I don't do think I there is. That's why I'm saying they're probably desperate. Either that or running <laughs> Windows XP and still doing, you know, IE 11. So. <laughs> nice. All right. Alrighty. So what, what's our Forgebox module of the week? This is a module oh. that came out of the hackathon that Ordis yes. just had. It is the first module by Mr. Daniel Garcia, who you have heard on this podcast before. It is a Swagger UI module, not to be confused with CB Swagger. In fact, they work together. Swagger UI is a way to view the CB Swagger file that's generated, or really any open API compatible file. And this gives you a way to view it right into your Cold Fusion application. Gives you a nice route at, I believe it's CB Swagger UI. I have to double check that. Yes. And so now with both those modules installed, CB Swagger and CB Swagger UI, you can go to the UI. It will load up your API and you can view it in a nice, beautiful documentation web page. So yeah, congratulations, Daniel, on your first module. I will be installing this in all the APIs I use because I hate having to copy and paste that JSON into a different website. <laughs> yeah, Daniel was pretty excited working on that during our uh, our hackathon down in Houston, getting his first module out the door. We, we expect hundreds of modules from you in the future, Daniel. <laughs> just the start. The VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week uh, is one of my favorites, and I'm surprised we didn't have it before because I feel like I talk about this all the time. It is multiple cursor case preserve. So I love multiple cursors. That's the idea where when you select some text and you hit, like, it's Command D for me. I don't know what, I think it's Control D on Windows and Linux. It'll just keep selecting those words, and then you can type and change all of them at once. Well, one of the issues is, uh, it selects ignoring case, but I don't want it to ignore case when I'm typing, right? Like if I'm changing a variable that's lowercase, but a component name that's capital or title case, I want those to all preserve. Well, that's what this this does for you. So you can select all of them, just type as normal, and if it was capital, it will keep it capital. It will keep the case that you had, which is beautiful. That's pretty nice. Yeah, and it is Control-D on, on Windows. So... That is multiple cursor, case preserve. Literally nothing you have to uh, configure. You just install it, and it works. Trademark. It just works. <laughs> well, we have reached the end of our podcast today. That means it's time to tell you about our... Oh, I forgot the word I used at the beginning for our Patreon brilliant, supporters. Brilliant. brilliant Patreon supporters. Thank you, Brad. I need to write those down so I don't forget those. These individuals are personally supporting our open source initiatives to ensure you have access to these great projects like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, all the wonderful boxes, Test Box, got to throw that one in there. It keeps the lights on at Forge Box to host all the great code for our package managers. And it supports this podcast as we talked about. You can support us yourself on patreon.com slash order solutions. People who support us at the bronze level and up get a Forgebox Pro and CSCast subscription as a perk with their Patreon subscription. As well, all Patreon supporters have access to a private forum on our community website, as well as a badge to show just how brilliant they really are for being (laughs) our Patreon supporters. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash solutions. Brad, would you like to read the names of all these brilliant people for us? I would love to, Eric. <clears throat> John Wilson from Synaptrix, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Mario Rodriguez, Giancarlo Gomez, David Ballinger, Dan Card, Jonathan Parrott, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, Dean Maunder, Joseph Lamery, Don Del- uh, Bellamy, Jan Yannick, Laxma Turtohadi, I always say that one wrong, Carl von Stetten, Jeremy Adams, 
Peter Lishnicki, uh, Matthew Clemente, Daniel Garcia, Scott Steinbeck from Agri Tracking Systems, Ben Nadell, Brett Deline, Kai Koenig, <gasps> Charlie Earhart, Jonas Erickson, Jason Diger, Sean Oden, Matthew Darby, Ross Phillips, Edgardo Cabezas, Patrick Flynn, Stephanie Mongi, John Wish, Kevin Wright, and Peter Amiri. I remember when I used to be able to say all of our Patreon supporters in one breath, and those days have been long past. I love it. Thank, Thank you so you much, so much to you brilliant people for being our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to you, the listener, for listening to this podcast. And we will see you next week. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.